Well, thank you so much, Ian, for joining me today. This has been a long time coming. I'm so happy we finally get to do this. We're going to walk people through the amazing journey of of Parker Clay and, and sort of, you know, your journey as a family as well and starting this brand and, and sort of the impact it has. And, and we're just going to go a lot of different ways. But let's start, you know, maybe, maybe around the beginning, uh, let's say around 2011, when you and your wife, Brittany, traveled to Ethiopia to adopt your daughter. That seemed to be sort of a, a point where things got rolling. So if we want to start there, let's do that. Yeah, I would love to. And Grant, thanks for, for having me. I know you guys have been such uh, great supporters and, and just with us for a, a lot of the journey, which has been yeah. fun to, to, to be through it all together. So yeah, it's really started back. I, I would even say we could go way back. Yeah. Still- we go back to when my wife and I met in high school really was, was the origin. <laughs> uh, we, we were high school sweethearts. We, uh, we went to college together. We got married as we were kind of finishing up college here in California. And we started building our family had our first two sons. So my, my first son was Parker. My second son was Clay. And, uh, and then we started talking about having a third and that, that was when the conversation of adoption came up. And, you know, I think it's where kind of the journey starts to unfold for us because we would, we would read statistics like 160 million orphans in the world. And that number just, I didn't know how to metabolize such a big, but what I, could do is I could see my two sons and I went, what, what if that was Parker? What if that was Clay? And that like, that changed the perspective for me in such a different way. And I think that's what really has grabbed our hearts ever since, even in what we do today is that, you know, we can talk about the big statistics and the numbers, but really when it's about a person with a name and a face, it, it makes it different. And that is really what, you know, galvanized the thought of, okay, let's, we're open to this adoption, but from where? And, you know, kind of a longer story short, we looked at a, a number of different countries, even looked domestic uh, here in the U.S., and we just landed on Ethiopia, right? Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, easy to look back and go, that makes a lot of sense. But in the beginning, it was, you know, hey, w- let's let's go to, let's do this. Let's go to Ethiopia. We felt like that was the right place to be. And in 2011, we got matched up with a little girl to adopt. We, we went to Ethiopia for the first time. And that really, you know, being in Ethiopia, seeing the country, seeing really kind of a different narrative. I think the more we travel mm-hmm. for any of us, right, around the world, we see things differently, not just through the lens of, of media or newspapers or, you know, other people, but it, it for ourselves. And the country was just stunning, beautiful country, beautiful people, credible heart. And it was different, I think, than the narrative we expected. And it really kind of grabbed our attention beyond just even adoption. And so we brought home this beautiful little girl, our daughter from Ethiopia back to California. And my wife and I kept going, how do we get more involved? Like, what else can we do? And we started talking different organizations, nonprofits, for-profits, like anybody who we could talk to. And the question we would ask over and over again was, what, what's needed, right? How can, how can we really have an impact? And I think when people were really honest with us, they would say, hey, what we don't need is a burden. What we don't need are handouts. What we mm-hmm. want are opportunities. And so we, we heard that loud and clear. And one of the organizations we connected with was a group that was helping women out of prostitution and trafficking. 
And the biggest thing was, hey, we we need other jobs to put these women into and create for right. them. And so, you know, I, again, kind of another long story short, we we ended up going, hey, well, maybe we can help. And then we went, how, how could we help? Yeah. We went through all the versions of we could write a check, we could support them, we could do like some other business thing. And then my wife and I were like, maybe we should move there. <laughs> and so we uh, we we did. We literally like bought one way tickets, sold everything we had. Wow. And in 2012, you know, standing at the airport going, this this could be one of the best or worst decisions we've ever made. Um, but we had our family in tow, moved to Ethiopia. So that was 2012. Wow. And that was you, Parker Clay. What's your daughter's name? Sela and Sela. And Sela. So there was you five that landed in 2012, correct? That was the, yeah. the family at that point? Exactly. Exactly. And so at, at this point, sort of a an impact sort of fashion brand, was that even in the ethos at all? Like how did it how did it snowball into starting starting the business, right? Starting the idea of okay, let's actually start a business and you know, we can then start the employment route with 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 these women and, and then obviously the economic development that, that happens from there and then just the domino effect of things that, that change. But how did the how did the business side come into play? Yeah. So we moved to Ethiopia without Parker Clay in, you know, really in mind. I guess I'd like, you know, Parker Clay literally were born, but Parker Clay as a business was not born. Right. And you know, we we went there because we saw a need. We wanted to work with these women to create skill sets and training and opportunities for them. And, you know, keep in mind, this is so 2012. While living in Ethiopia, something pretty dramatic happened over in Bangladesh. There was a factory called Rana Plaza. That's right. That's right. Yep. That collapsed and 1,135 people died. And that truly woke up the world to this fast fashion movement, right? Everybody was like, wait a second, were my clothes made there? And, and, and we're living in Ethiopia seeing firsthand people who are looking for, for meaningful jobs, gainful employment, ways that they can really you know, create a livelihood for themselves and, and, and a good one at that, you know, and, and hear people across the world and another part of the world are, are really sacrificing their life for fashion. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And, and so we were always looking for ways to, to find, you know, something that was, that was also sustainable. And at the time, you know, there was some other brands and, and I love Tom shoes for, for pioneering the space, but we, we all know now that yeah. there, there's better model, right? Yep. Yep. But they pioneered something and that was really, and there was a few other brands and things that were more, I would say trinkets, right? Things that people would yep. buy as perhaps more of a philanthropic charitable purchase, not something that they wanted, nothing that was more premium. Those were all kind of dedicated to, you know, European brands and things like that. We really like, we, we always question that. Why can't we build something that, you know, has that appeal to the world, to the, to the fashion brands, but also is sustainable and takes care of the people behind it. And that was when it was, it was Brittany's birthday in 2013. And we were, we were looking for, there's no big shopping malls and stuff like that, that it's, it's harder to do some shopping there back sure. then. And we discovered, we found this leather bag at, at one of these small markets and it both, it caught both Brittany and I's eyes on, on, 
the, just the style and what it was. And we look inside of it, we're checking it out. And it says made in Ethiopia on a tag mm. and on the back of the tag, there's a phone number. And so it, we're just both going, wow, let's maybe we can make some other stuff for us. <laughs> and so we called and it just like, we started going down this path. We met this guy, started talking about the industry and I'm asking him, you know, is there a lot of leather here? You know, just not, not informed at all. And he goes, yeah, there's a ton of leather. <laughs> like, do you not see the goats and cows and sheep yeah. everywhere? And so we went to a tannery and, and at this tannery, there was two just massive shipping, shipping containers being hauled away that day. And they're loading him with leather. And I asked the owner where he was shipping it to or what he was doing with it. And he goes, oh, I'm shipping that to Italy. Mm-hmm. And that was the light bulb moment, right? Where yep. we are with you know, these, all these women that are saying, we want jobs, we want opportunities, we're ready to go to work, we're hungry for it. And here is this premium material that the world is really not even talking about, like, where's like, at that point in time, it was just beginning this whole sourcing and how things are made, where they're made. And I'm seeing containers with leather going to Italy. And immediately, I think of all the Italian, you know, and European brands that are branding themselves as that premium and so we, we went, Hey, we need to make things here. Like this is, this is it. We can create a premium product that people both love to wear. It makes them look good, but it also makes them feel good. And that, that was really when Parker Clay was born. We, you know, we, we started with a few designs kind of Brittany and I just coming up with some designs we liked, we'd bring them back to California and show them, show friends. And people were like, Oh, where'd you get that? And we're like, Oh, cool. People like this, <laughs> you know? And, and so we did that for a couple of years and just started, started scaling the business. Just really quick on the name. Was that, how long did that take? Was that like, did it hit you right away or was that a struggle? Was there anything named before it? And then, yeah, good question. It was, it was actually one night in Ethiopia. It was fun. It was fun. Often, you know, power would kind of turn on and off sometimes at night. And so we were trying to come up with a name and I think we pulled like an all nighter and just on pieces of paper, we would be sketching out names. We probably had, I don't know, a hundred names. Yeah. And for some reason, I think we wrote Parker Clay in the middle, just, and it just like became one of those aha moments of, oh, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. The we, name was literally right in front of you the entire time with your two kids. <laughs> yes. Literally right in front of us. Literally right in front of us. And, and meaningful, right? I mean, the whole oh, really totally, man. reason behind what, like what moved us to adopt, what moved us to the country, it was like us looking at these boys saying, you know, this is personal to us. And similarly with this brand, right? Like this brand is, is, is personal to us. When you started to, to get product made, at what point was it you actually were able to, I guess, start hiring women, you know, that process of like, okay, we know we can make this stuff, but we really need to put processes in place where we're we have this employee sort of, you know, this, this job creation infrastructure, and obviously it's all dependent on customers and, and when they purchase things. But I mean, just getting an office set up and whether it's sewing machines or whatever you, you need, what was the process of, was it going to the nonprofit and saying, Hey, we're going to do this. Is there, you know, a particular subset of women that you think would benefit from the training? Can they be trained? Like what was the process of really just getting the sort of impact ecosystem set up? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And a really important question, I think, especially for other entrepreneurs that are looking to do, to do good and create an impact was we were working with 
this nonprofit called the Little Women at Risk, beautiful nonprofit that was started by an Ethiopian over 20 years ago, doing incredible work with these women who have gone through some pretty serious life trauma. Right. And, you know, for us, we were, we were working kind of inside this organization too, trying to understand it and, and understand that trauma a little bit more, you know, and, and our hearts wanted to like, obviously you want to hire everyone, right? You want to bring everybody in. And it was interesting as we observed living there, right? For a few years that that process was really important because some women weren't ready to be employed in that way. Some women didn't want perhaps to work in that industry or find something else. And we worked really closely with them. And I would say even today, that's it. we've kind of developed, I would say a little bit of a, a special part of what we do is that we figured out how to kind of harness this nonprofit for-profit world, right? In this intersection of profit and purpose where this nonprofit that we partner with does something so well and mm-hmm. so good you can't do, right? They, right. they counseling, rehabilitation and work with these women to prepare them for entering into the work workplace. Then we do something that that nonprofit can't do, right? And we do it better than they could do. As a for-profit business, we can bring them in and do training. We can prepare them for, you know, what that's going to look like and then create a great job for them. Not because we're thinking it's a, a charitable handout, but because we create a healthy work environment with all the opportunities to thrive. And it's been, you know, th- there's been definitely a journey on that, right? When we first hired a few people, like we wanted to hire everybody we could, but we had to hire right. slow. Um, and I think it's one of the things why I love being a for-profit in the space that we are, right? It's it's not just a, a for-profit. Um, you know, we we certainly do so much more. And I think good business is having that impact, right? You know, and, and we should be doing things the right way. And it's one of the reasons why we became a B Corp and everything we do as well. But we, yeah, we started with a few, a few employees, a few people that were from that nonprofit and a few that weren't. Um, and it is a journey, right? I mean, signing those first leases and getting that <laughs> space. Like I remember, you know, sign, I just, it feels heavy. It feels like, oh my gosh, we're doing this. And I don't know what the future looks like. And, you know, to, and then fast forward even to today where we've got, a couple hundred employees there in a massive factory with tons of machines and everything else. I mean, it's like you, you, you kind of, it's, it's hard. You don't just like arrive, you know, you, you take no, it. Steps. Yeah, totally. Through the interviews that I've had, you know, when you're going back to what you're saying about nonprofits can, can do things really well. And then, you know, you have a for-profit entity almost, it's almost like building something on top of the infrastructure that they built. And I've seen a few cases like that, you know, talking to two founders where they found a really great nonprofit partner that really kind of did the hard work, like the really hard work at a foundational level, um, whether it was women in situations like like you saw and you, you dealt with, or it's, you know, children, wh- whoever it may be, right? Maybe it's, it's, there's a bunch of different causes out there. There's a bunch of different whether it's domestic shelters, homeless shelters, whatever it may be, there's some amazing nonprofits doing things. And I see like founders kind of want to start maybe like a sister nonprofit or there's a lot of ways to to do the nonprofit thing. But I'm like, there's like 
nearly 2 million nonprofits in America. You can find someone that's doing some really, really amazing work that you can sort of build off of as a company and as a brand. Um, And I've seen founders transition from being a nonprofit and and having a struggle there. They had, they built the hard stuff. Like they kind of built this quasi supply chain that wasn't intentional, but they, they've been training women for so long and they had these materials around and, and all of a sudden they woke up one day. It's like, you know what? We could just build a brand. Like we can go direct to consumer. We don't need to go to these expensive shows and try to pitch to wholesales and try to sell our story all the time. We can sell our own story. and, And we built you know, 10 years, we built like this pipeline and now we can go direct to consumer with the products that we make. Um, so I think that it was such just a, a great point you made where there's nonprofits doing really, really amazing work on the ground that's very difficult and that for-profit companies can't do. You know, they, they're just not going to be able to do it as good and vice versa. There's an opportunity for for founders to look at some of these these opportunities and say, hey, can we build something off of what they've done and really create that next step for transition for individuals, right? And come work at, at a brand or a company um, that can employ them. So I, I just wanted to say, you know, it's kudos to that because it's, that is such a transition and a journey that I think we as founders need to like look at a little bit more and say, hey, how can we build these blocks on top of what, what nonprofits have already done? That's already there. Completely agree. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. And as you learn more as a leader and grow, right? Like we all, that journey, I think is do what you do really well and don't try to do everything because Mm -hmm. you just won't be able to do everything well. So I've found that to be very, very true with what we're doing in Ethiopia. I want to go around to the business side a little bit. There's obviously it's, you've had a lot of lessons learned at this point, right? And I guess just walk us through, the journey of growth um, and, and just that idea of, you know, hey, we, we hired five people, now we're hiring 10, now we're hiring 20, now we're hiring 30. You know, we have a new product line coming out, right? Like, because you guys didn't have a background in any of this, right? So yeah. talk us just through that, that that founder and business journey of, and the dynamic of you and your wife building this together. <laughs> that 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 has to be such a, a cool thing to do when it works, right? It, it, that has to be- it works, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it works, right, right. But just talk us through the business journey of of not being from that world and sort of building something brick by brick, day by day, year by year. Yeah, there, I love working with my wife. She's my business partner. She's my best friend. I mean, we have so much fun doing this together. And and at the same time, yeah, there's moments where I'm like, do I answer do I answer this question as your husband or as the CEO of Parker Clay? I'm not sure. <laughs> could, could we give her responses? Um, but yeah, we, you know, when we started again, we, it was just Brittany and I, and we had these ideas sketched out, you know, we made the, the first few products started with a few employees in 2015. We got some, some difficult news that our daughter, Sayla, who we had adopted, she had a brain tumor. And so that's what actually moved us back to California. Cause we had to get her treatment, had to get her brain surgery and you know, it's hard because we thought, and this, and this is kind of one of those pieces where I think I've learned that sometimes the obstacle feels debilitating, but the obstacle actually can be the way. And that, that ends up being that like, you know, piece that illuminates that next step in the, in the journey. And while I would 
certainly have preferred to not have my daughter had a brain tumor and have to get surgery and go through that. Um, it's what brought us back to California. And I thought, okay, the business might be done. I don't know what this is going to look like. You know, we can't be here in Ethiopia to build it, but it was quite the opposite, you know, being back in, in California and the U S probably is what enabled us to take Mm -hmm. that step in the journey because it put us in front of the market more. It put us in front of more people. And because it wasn't big enough though, in 2015, uh, to, to sustain our family, I ended up before moving to to Ethiopia, I worked in real estate development, doing sales and marketing. And so I, I jumped back into real estate with a friend who had a business back here and, and he needed somebody to help run his business. And so I jumped back into that and I called it, that was kind of my eight to five. Mm-hmm. And I told my friend, Hey, we're, we're still building this business. Although, you know, it's, I realize it needs to be secondary to what I'm doing. It's going to be my, you know, five to eight. And he's like, Absolutely. Love what you're doing. Love the work that you're doing. You know, I'm all for it. So for from 2015 to I would say 2018, I was working two full-time jobs. And Brittany was also when we moved back, uh, seven months pregnant with our fifth. So wow. it was like it was there was some crazy moments with just all of that. And um, and it was 2018 when we actually brought in, I mean, the timing was like insane. We had started talking to some angel investors. We, we had a business plan. We knew what we wanted to do to scale and grow this thing, but we knew we needed capital to do it. Sure. And we put, we, you know, started talking to people and we got our first check from an angel, like the same week I was losing my paycheck from my real estate job and, and transitioning full-time to Parker Clay. And it, it just has been like incredible timing to be able to do that. And that was really, I would say 2018 was a pretty big moment for us at Parker Clay where, you know, we had been growing the business year over year pretty substantially, but 2018 was when we took some big steps and we started to expand our supply chain. We expanded our factory. We we bulked up on inventory and started kind of making some bigger purchases, got our first showroom, our own little retail showroom office space here in Santa Barbara. That was, I would say you know, some big moments. And then, you know, from there, we, we just got some great like PR hits. We had a couple celebrities endorse us on national TV. You know, I remember sitting in like a back of our little office on like cardboard boxes, right? The, the classic entrepreneur. Yeah. And uh, we're on national TV and like, all, like there's four of us in the back and we all have phones up to our ears. We're like on our laptops, orders are printing out. We're like, what is happening? <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it was great, right? Those were like awesome beginning moments. And, you know, since 2018, like we had a few years where we were doubling the business, scaling and fast forward to today, which again, so many stories in between, but yeah, you know, we've, got, we've got about a 18,000 square foot factory in Ethiopia of 200 employees, 80% are women. The majority of those women we've hired from that nonprofit, given them skills training, uh, certifications. We have savings programs. We've got a food program where we subsidize 90% of the cost of, of lunches and meals, transportation. I mean, the whole bit, right? And we're really proud, really proud of, of where we've been. But yeah, it's been kind of that like brick by brick, step by step. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's amazing kind of to go, wow, this is where we're at and look back at where we started. So it's always fun to 
to, to jog through those memories as I'm talking about it. How did COVID like work with you and the family being at home? I imagine, right? Yeah. Trying to run a company, you know, trying to facilitate everything halfway across the world, layoffs right now. Do you have, you've kind of built this amazing opportunity for, for women in tough positions. And now do you have to go to some and say that you have to lay them off? Like, was that a really dark time in, in the, in the Parker Clay journey or since everybody's home, right? Everybody's maybe at the computer more, maybe there's sales that are going up. Like there's, there's kind of both sides to this that's possible, I guess. Um, so I guess just take us through those couple of years, man. And, and how that went just from, you know, from a founder perspective, also from a father perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Hard Un- unknowns like that are hard. Um, we, we didn't know we, and, and certainly as I remember I had a, a, a trip to New York right at the beginning of the year before everything, it was just kind of more hearsay stuff was happening and a bunch of editors and desk sides and all this like great PR that we were, were working on. And then after New York, I, I jumped on a flight to Ethiopia and I kept seeing a lot more people in like these, it looked like hazmat suits mm-hmm. and it just like, what is happening? So I felt like the wave was like coming and I, and I was traveling right before it. And then sure enough, get home and everything's in lockdown. You know, everything starts to blow up and get big. And, you know, all that PR that we had talked about, everybody committed. They're like, nope, we're talking about COVID. Um, You know, it just, it it definitely changed that. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, we, again, we have such a heart for our people and our team. And it it was, certainly we're thinking about the business, but first we're always thinking about the people. And we have a number of women who have, you know, immune compromised, you know, challenges and things like that. We didn't know, no one really knew what, right. what was happening. And so we wanted to protect them. And so we did send uh, home a few people, you know, that we felt could be potentially, you know, impacted by this, obviously covering their pay and making sure that they were taken care of until things kind of settled. We uh, put in, you know, just business continuity plans. I'm, I'm grateful that we, we planned really well early on to, have some plans in place around that in terms of moving machines around, creating more space. And I'm, I'm proud that we actually didn't have to lay anyone off. We, we actually grew Amazing. through COVID. Um, we ended up producing um, frontline workers like masks and things like that for, for workers in Ethiopia uh, that were actually honored by like the government and things like that. It was, it was kind of a, a cool honor to get that from them. But yeah, no, we grew, we, we expanded our factory through COVID, you know, and, and I would say that's a, I'm proud of what we did. And, and I think we did a really great job, but it was hard. Like yeah. there's no doubt about it. It was, it was hard. It was, it was stressful. And, and you know, I, I, we were talking earlier and I, and I know I mentioned, you know, it like, it like woke me up. I, I was probably a five or 6am wake up scenario. I started waking up. <laughs> like three or 4 a.m. And I, I literally, it's still with me today. Like I just wake up early, you know? So yeah, we, you know, but we, we navigated it. And um, as a family, yeah, I mean, my kids are at home. I've got five kids. I've got a, a work, work, a team on the U.S. side as well, you know, and the same, all the same challenges, right? We're trying yeah. to be at home with the kids. One of the things that we did was got really creative. I mean, we were working in my garage for a bit. We had a you know, just like brainstorming sessions at the house with a few people. I mean, it was like very gritty during that yeah. time. We came up with this idea where 
it, we called it, we go together because one of the sayings that we, we use is an African proverb. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we just came up with this idea to say, Hey, we don't know what's coming, but we want to bring our community close. And we offered basically this, this campaign where you could back us, you could um, essentially buy a gift card and we would double it, but we would pay it out like down the road so that we would have mm. the capital, we would have right. the capital up front um, and then be able to kind of gift you that or give you that gift card later and then double it again the following year. So, and it, you know, I don't know that we totally knew what was going to happen, but we put together like this campaign, this video, and we just said, Hey, like we guys, we're all, we're all in this together. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know, you know, if you guys believe in what we're doing and who we are as a brand, help us, you know, navigate this together. And it was awesome. Like people <laughs> supported us, people shared it. And it was really just a cool moment to say, people were like, like, hell yeah, we're going to support you. And we've got your back and we want to see this thing live and thrive and survive in the future. So that was a special moment, you know, in those times. And yeah, it, I mean, navigating it all as a, as a husband, as a father, as a business leader, I definitely probably have a few more gray hairs. <laughs> I wanted to chat about scale for a second. Yeah. Um, Cause anytime I, you know, conversate, we had mentioned Tom's before as sort of being a, a pioneer. And then as they scaled, you know, some things sort of fell apart a little bit, I think for them. And when we're, when I'm talking to, you know, impact brands in the beginning, it's easy as a strong word, right. But it's the, it's much more, the, the vision is really clear. Um, and it is, you know, kind of day by day, day by day. And the impact is kind of what's driving you and you see how it works. But as scale happens, like how do you also have the ability to have that impact scale with you, right? Because as the business grows, now you have, you know, I have more employees or now you need to get even more leather, right? So now maybe there's strains on, on the ranchers, right? Because now they have to sort of produce more and that could get a little bit weird from, from a consumer standpoint and just from all kinds of different different things to, to talk about there. But now you have to provide even, you know, maybe more health insurance and more things. Now you have investors. So now you have to make sure you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're profitable in a certain way. And like, I guess, how do you stay focused on, okay, as we scale as a business, we also want to maintain not deviate away from why we actually started this thing? Uh, yeah, another great, great question. And I think mission drift is is something that I, I think I've seen a number of times, um, you know, where people will start out passionate about the mission. And then as it grows and scales and you've got all the other voices and demands, all of a sudden you end up somewhere completely different. And I think mm -hmm. that is a cautionary tale with plenty of examples to, to look at. You got to put safeguards in place. And, and, and put structure to your business. Like we're looking at, and there's been some great articles more recently about this whole conversation around even greenwashing, right? Right mm -hmm. now, now H and M got called out as they should have, and they're calling it green hushing, hmm. you know, which I think is great. And, you know, the, the level of accountability around certain things, it's one of the reasons we became a B Corp where we saw them really doing a, a, a thorough examine of the business and making sure what we say is actually what we do. And I can tell you now, having gone through an initial certification and a recertification where we just 
increased our score to 112. Um, it's it's a lot of hard work to do that. And I think that's one one great layer of accountability to add. We're also a public benefit corporation, so we're Delaware PBC, which you know requires us that it's not just shareholders, yeah. it's stakeholders, it's the general public, right? That it, we have to ensure we are doing good to and for, like it's in our bylaws. And so I think that's another that's another layer. And you know, I mean, I mean, look, I think consumers nowadays they they're maturing. They've been around it right since the early yep. days. Is this organic produce? To now, you've got this whole conscious consumerism movement that is not going away. It's only getting stronger. People know when it's not truthful. People know when it's not authentic. And for us at Parker Clay, you know, if you took away the impact we just wouldn't exist, right? Like it's it's at our core, it's in our foundation and it's who we are. Now, I do think other entrepreneurs out there who are looking to grow and scale something, it's important to really ingrain those things early on and set those things in, in place because you, I guarantee there are things that are gonna pull you away. I mean, I remember when we lived in Ethiopia, there was another brand we were uh, helping out a little bit and they talked a lot about women who were, were coming out of trafficking and they use their stories a lot to kind of promote the products. Well, we're in this meeting and, and they said, Hey, this particular woman, she went back into prostitution hmm. and the owner was like, well, we can't tell that story. You know? And I was like, hmm. Oh my gosh, that's, that's actually really bad. You know? And I think that if you, if you ever find yourself in a position where you're having to compromise, it's it's that it's that little by little that all of a sudden you end up you're a mile off where you wanted to be if you continue down that path and i think you've got to put great people around you that kind of create that integrity that 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 sharpening that accountability right that goes along with it because it's going to be hard it's definitely going to be a hard path especially if you're trying to build something um, of scale that has that level level of impact you know, and, and if you don't, it, there's going to be moments where it's easy to, to compromise. It's easy to go, well, maybe we can import something from somewhere else or right. We can just not pay what we need to pay because, you know, at the end of the day, like when, when we, what we saw during COVID kind of going back to your last, last question, there was tons of brands that canceled purchase orders. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And right. And I understand from that business decision, that was the, that was the easier path. Well, one of the reasons why we have our own factory that, that we own is that there's, there's so many positives, but also in a time like that, we've got to keep it going. Right. And we have to make sure that those, those, those salaries are being paid and that the things are, are continuing and it, and it pushed us to innovate so it wasn't like a detriment to our business. It actually made us better. It made us more innovative. Um, and I think that's the other side of it, right? Is that you think, oh, this is not a great thing. I, I wish I could just cancel purchase orders. But when you push yourself and you challenge yourself, I think that's what brings out some of the best opportunities and results. So it's, you know, I think at the bottom line is, yeah, it's 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 hard. Those the scaling, we've seen again, we've seen examples of doing that poorly. And, and, you know, look, investment is a whole nother thing, right? The venture capital world is, it's a scary place. There is. <laughs> and, you know, in the past few years, cause I've been talking to them, it is growth at all costs in at a lot of costs. ways. 
Yeah. And, and how am I as a founder looking at that, you know, when actually people come first and, and the impact work that we do? Yes, we believe we can create a thriving, profitable business, but not at the cost of people. And, you know, like we want to be smart. We want to be sustainable about this. Well, that leads to sort of the next question is you kind of opened up investment to customers, let's say, normal people. I believe that unaccredited investors can invest in this Parker Clay round. Tell me if I'm off here. Um, no, that's right. Yeah. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways these investments can go, but basically it's like crowdfunding where people can get involved. You know, really I always look at it as like consumers, right? Like if you have people shopping with you for five, seven, eight years, like why not? You're already making purchases from them. Like now you get to own a piece of the of the company. So I, I guess just talk us through the that sort of position that, that you're in where he says, hey, you know, do we want to go direct to our fan base and our customers and offer this sort of opportunity? Walk us through that process. I know a lot of brands that have done, you know, crowdfunding, you know, some good, some bad. Just I guess walk us through your position and, and I guess like what why'd you why'd you want to do it? Yeah, we're we're really excited about about this, and it's been something I've been been watching and looking at, thinking about for for a uh, past few years. Um, we're I would say like we're at that typical Series A type mm-hmm. investment, right? If you look at just in general business, we would typically be looking at a Series A, which which involves institutional investors, you know, accredited investors, and you know, before crowdfunding and, and in particular what we're doing, which is a regulation A plus, mm-hmm. startups are really limited to raising capital through friends, family, accredited investors, and and traditional VC rounds. And in 2012, there was a, a federal jobs act that really enabled this type of investment and opening it up for private yeah. companies to open it up to, to the public. And for me, looking at it, I mean, you, you kind of just heard a lot of our story. It's been so much about community. And so what, what this round is to us is it's a community round. It's about allowing people to come into this with us and, and many of whom who have already purchased our bags, who've been part of this with us through that, now gets to be able to be literally a seat at the table, mm-hmm. so to say, you know, as a, a shareholder in our company. So this is investment into the company as equity. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a process. It's taken us a good portion of, of 2022 to getting things approved. You have to go through and get qualified by the SEC and put together audits, put yep. together a ton of disclosure documents, which is great, right? It's, it's for the protection of the public so that they have all of our, all of our information and details that are out there. But, you know, why do, why do we do it? Why do we decide to do it? I mean, Parker Clay is about believing in building a better way. And we just, at our core, believe that happens through community. I mean, community is why we exist. As a B Corp, you know, we want to raise the standards. We want to be part of the community. And with this Regulation A community round, we get to invite everybody to be part of it. And the cool part is that also it's a belief in kind of democratizing investment, right? Usually at our stage, a lot of smaller startup brands and businesses that you can only invest if you are typically an accredited investor, you know, like, can you imagine if, 
you were back in, in the garage with Jeff Bezos and Amazon and you, you, you know, he said, Hey, could you put 500 bucks in? I mean, that would be worth millions today, you know, and not that we're Amazon nor, nor do we want to be, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of that opportunity from being part of this, you know, you bought a bag, you've been part of this, you've watched our journey, but you also get to be part of it and what we're building and scaling and growing. Right. So there's an investment side, which is really exciting as well. Speaking of, we'll kind of end here on a little bit of the of future. You know, you've been it's been such a long journey so far, and you're at this point where there's there's so many still just so much growth potential and so much opportunity uh, for the brand globally. When you look, let's say the next five years or so, what does that roadmap look like? What is success? What does success look like for for you and the team? Yeah, I mean, we like I've I've said, people, right? We want to impact not hundreds of lives, not thousands, but millions of lives. And that's, that's really what we want to see. We want to see more women that have that, you know, purpose and, and ability to thrive, not just survive. We, we believe we found an industry that is perfect for this. I mean, at the birthplace, right? Ethiopia is known as this kind of cradle of life, birthplace of civilization. Well, it's also just the source of such great material people and, and, uh, even, you know, the opportunities that are there. I think that for what we're seeing in the business sense, like there is a lot of movement and even manufacturing. You've got yeah. tons of jobs that are leaving Asia and China looking for a new home. And Africa is this young, vibrant population. 25% of the population is going to live there by 2050. I mean, it, it, we need to be talking more about yep. Africa for sure. Yep. Even the industry itself is a huge, you know, huge opportunity about $72 billion handbag, yeah, you know, leather accessories industry right now. That's going to grow in the next five or so years. I mean, to probably over a hundred billion. So it's just a massive, it's a massive industry that, you know, we see continuing to grow and scale. And especially around that conscious consumerism, people wanting to know where things are made, how they're made. And that's at the cornerstone of it. And so we, we're we really excited to be able to, to step into that more, to open up more of those doors and opportunities. We're currently the largest manufacturer and exporter of finished leather goods from Ethiopia to the world. You know, And so we want to continue to be that leader in that space, to create more opportunities. We're even talking to the government of Ethiopia about uh, opening up e-commerce for Africa and Ethiopia, which is super exciting. That they've kind of go down that road for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, so as a leader in that industry in, in Ethiopia, the government has been just a, a great advocate ally with us and they see what we're doing in the e-commerce space. And I've told them, you know, often you guys, there's so much opportunity and there's so many young entrepreneurs that, uh, that need access to the market. We want to open that up. Yeah. Um, there's, there is a $42 billion funding gap for women entrepreneurs in Africa. Yet, you know, the opportunity for GDP growth mm-hmm. by bridging that gap is massive. So we are huge advocates and really, I would say, you know, trying to be ambassadors to the world about these opportunities. And as we've talked to them, they like, I was meeting with one of the ministers and he said, Ian, can you be an advisor for us to, you know, help us bring e-commerce to Ethiopia and open up Africa, which 
is super exciting and massive opportunity. Yeah. You know, and so, so we're kind of talking to them. I know that they've, they've been working with uh, Alibaba and trying to create a hub for e-commerce in in Africa. So, you know, we're still, I would say early days, but it's definitely things are in motion. And, and I think, you know, we're going to look back in 10 years and go, oh my gosh, that this is a huge market, huge opportunity that you'd probably be late to the game if you haven't jumped in already. Yeah. Such a huge opportunity. I mean, that's, that's amazing that, you know, they, they see that and, and want to build that. I mean, you already have, you know, the facility built, you already understand how to build out the Shopify part of things, automate things. I mean, you could probably just your facility alone and just incubate, start incubating, you know, have brands come in and pay you some a fee or right to kind of use your infrastructure. There could yep. be so much stuff there. And, and obviously Ethiopia is big, but Africa is so, like you said, it's just so massive and there's just not enough. I have friends there and, you know, the things that they tell me, it's just like, why are they not just higher on the agenda of, I mean, <laughs> they're so close to the U.S. yet we're so, you know, really allocated. Like we just, we have this, this consumer partnership with China, um, but Africa is so much more closer and have, like you said, a young base, it's really smart. I mean, they understand technology. I think it's just, you know, how do you combine all those things and, and just, you know, like you said, grow GDP and a, a totally different level. And I'm just such a believer in technology. And yeah, I think it's such a, a secret. It's like weird. It's like it's big, one of the biggest continents in the world, right? But it's somehow this, it's still hiding in plain sight, so to speak. So that's amazing. I, I hope that that collaboration continues. I hope there's much more movement there. Would love to have them on and, and talk about that. If, if there's anybody interesting you think we should talk to about, you know, from a government level of like, what's the process like what's their roadmap because that's just such a obviously opportunity opening for you know founders and completely new workforce so 100 agree yeah so i'll just say you know thanks so much for taking the time and it's uh been a long time coming i'm super happy we got to do this obviously best of luck to to you and the team and, and stateside and then obviously to the, to the team in ethiopia um, for hopefully the next decades to come. We'll link all kinds of things in the show notes so people can check a bunch of things out. Grant, thanks so much for making the time. And it's been great chatting. Look forward to chatting more. <laughs>